Hey everyone, I'm Gracie. Welcome to the Grace of Military Child podcast. The world should know how unique military children are. We may look like normal children on the outside, but we go through some pretty extraordinary circumstances that shape us to the leaders we are today. Keep listening to hear the incredible journey this week's guest has been on. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great, Gracie. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited and looking forward to this conversation. Yes, me too. I'm super excited to hear more of your story and how the military life has affected you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's I can't imagine having grown up any other way but a military kid. Um, my dad was already in the Air Force when my brother and I both were born. I have a, a younger brother who's younger by 20 months. Um, he was already in the Air Force when we were born, and he retired um, when I was in my sophomore year of college. So I guess it would have been right after my brother's senior year. So from high school, my brother had it through high school. I had a couple of extra years, but growing up in a military family and um, we actually moved around, I think, a little bit more than most enlisted families do. My dad was in maintenance on C5s and C130s and um, had some specialized skill sets that I think as I get older and have been in, in the professional world a little bit, maybe things he can't tell me too much about. Um, but at the time, we just knew that he uh, was traveling a lot and going to um, strange places. Uh, and then we were living overseas quite a bit. We lived in Portugal and we lived in Germany. So by the time I was 16, I'd lived about a third of my life overseas. Um, and the rest of the time I'd been going to school on military bases. So coming back and going to high school um, in the States <laughs> uh, in sort of a public high school was, uh, was a really different experience for me. I'm sure having grown up and going to the military schools is so different than going to a regular public school. It's not the same atmosphere you would have. No, it's true. And I think especially for um, for kids who live overseas, there's just so much um, transience that goes on. You know, you have people coming and people going. And, right. um, and so what I really took away from all of that experience is, um, and now I think um, you probably know this from reading my background, I'm in the political world. And so I think that all really contributed to my ability to make friends quickly, my ability to sort of accept people as they are and to meet them where they are. Um, and so, I, again, I don't know, I can't imagine what my life would have been like not growing up in a military family. And I can't imagine having the opportunities that I have now without those experiences. Yeah, I think the military really builds these kids up for a successful life, even if they don't join the military, um, you know, after high school or after college, even you start to build connections with even other kids, other um, other service members that, you know, most kids don't have the opportunity to do. Yeah. And I don't know if you were talking about this on your podcast, or I just read it somewhere else um, recently. Is it 4% of the American population that actually serves? Is that, yeah. is that a stat you gave? I, I don't think I gave it, but it is, it is a small stat of how many actually serve. Yeah. It never occurred to me and it, it never entered my mind that I might join the service. Um, but I did spend a lot of time in public service and, and 
still in public service at the state level and actually went back overseas um, as a professional to work closely with DOD. Um, and so that was a lot of fun trying to play translator for my friends who had never worked with DOD before and kind of, <clears throat> you know, the hierarchy and and the very structure of bureaucracy that comes along with with being in the professional military as well. So that extended, all, you know, all that experience, again, just extended into my professional career and um, gave me an opportunity to serve others in a way that uh, that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise been able to. Yeah, it's definitely a whole new world looking at civilian life and then military life and the experiences you have, the terminology you know. There's so many differences between the two different lifestyles that you don't even think of when you're, you know, living the military lifestyle. Like you grow up and most kids that I spoke to, I had a different experience, but most military kids I've spoke to, they're like, we only know what the commissary is. Like, we don't understand why people would go to a local supermarket to get all their groceries when we can just go to the commissary. It took me the longest time to understand what a private label was. Like when you go to a grocery <laughs> store and it would have the, you know, the grocery stores, I was just like, what, what is this? I don't, so yeah, I totally. I, I think um, in a way you get this sort of cocoon built around you and, right. and, and this very safe space that's created um, in a lot of ways uh, when everything else seems to, you know, in a military life can be, be very topsy turvy. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned moving a lot. And more, probably more than the average, where did you move to? How many times did you move? Um, I always forget to count, but I, we were born in Louisiana, and then we moved to Portugal, and then we moved to Oklahoma, and then we moved to Germany, and then we moved to Arkansas. So that, I guess that's five moves. Um, so certainly on the officer side, there's a lot more moves, you know, more sort of regular moves. But for us as an enlisted family, we would have friends um, you know, in Oklahoma that had just been there their entire lives and their parents, you know, entered the military and left the military all without having left um, that place. So um, my, my parents are both from Southwest Missouri and grew up in a very rural part of the country. So for them to have um, joined the military together at all, I mean, my mom as a spouse, but for them to join the military at all was sort of like a um, an oddity. And then for them to kind of have this wanderlust where they're moving far away from family and to these foreign countries that um, rarely people visited, you know, it really also that experience just really imbued in both my brother and me, this, this very strong sense of love of culture and love of learning and love of travel. Yeah, for sure. And you have to be you know, flexible with travel because you have no clue when the military is going to say, okay, you're going here. Like you, you can't predict that. And then you have to be very adaptive to your surroundings, to the different cultures, especially moving different countries. You have to learn their culture kind of right away when you get there. It's true. And, it, and it's harder, um, because again, coming back to this cocoon idea, you know, the military does such a great job to the DOD schools and, um, you know, that, that obviously we could have gone to, to school on the economy, but we went to a, an American and military high school, um, and junior high. But what I really loved was that we had, you know, a German language every day, right. That they were really trying hard to make sure that we were being good guests in the country, in the host country. And that, for me, when I came back to the, when I came back to a public high school, 
the the language was available, but not in an, in an advanced state. And so I took the language so I could kind of keep up with basic skills. But um, but it struck me that that's just not it doesn't just happen everywhere that lots of languages are offered to students to continue their language and to continue to explore the world around them. Right. That's the culture is not really taught in you know, public high schools and middle schools and even elementary schools like it would be, you know, in Germany in a DOD ran school because it's not, you know, kids aren't really exposed to that here because they don't need to be as much. Yeah, I think it really, um, I think that's exactly right. And there's there's a lot of great things about every great place, every place in the United States and everywhere in the world. People, you know, have legacy have, you know, ancestors have moved there for one reason or another. There was something that um, was obviously calling them there. Um, but I do think it's important that that people get exposed to, to things that are not like them and not like what they, kn- quote, know to be true because uh, it is so different. And, it, and I think it's culture becomes very easy to overlook if you um, have never experienced anything other than your own experience. Right. Even moving state to state mm-hmm. still within the United States is such a difference. I lived in Ohio for nine years in Cleveland, Ohio, like a suburb. So that was a very different experience than moving to a military base in San Antonio, Texas, when my dad was injured and living there, you know, and then moving to Florida. It's another different culture. And a lot of kids grow up just exposed to wherever their hometown is. And that's what they know. And then once they start growing and moving and, you know, moving out and things like that, they're exposed to a whole new world that was really out there the entire time. Yeah. And how many exciting things you can find when you look somewhere else, you know, Um, I, I encourage people all the time. I remember when I was in high school, I had one of my favorite teachers had actually applied to become a DOD um, to be a DOD teacher and um, and would likely be placed overseas. And he was really concerned about how his daughters, who I think were just kind of entering high school, were going to adapt. And I had moved in the middle of my junior year. So, you know, <laughs> I just sort of laughed because I said, well, I mean, gosh, if I can do it, then certainly your daughters who are younger can do it. And, right. and it does. It teaches resilience. It teaches flexibility, adaptability. It teaches all of us that there's very few obstacles that can't be overcome and, um, and gives us space, I think, to, to deal with real challenges uh, when they come in a, in a sort of more mature fashion and not freak out at every, every sort of hurdle that gets put in our path. Right. And I think the military does a fantastic job at teaching just the military kid community of what it's like in the, you know, quote unquote, we real world of, you know, you're not going to be sheltered or, you know, in that cocoon your entire life, you're going to have to go out and you're going to face these challenges. And, you know, you have to be resilient through them. You have to be able to adapt to whatever circumstances come your way, because what are you going to do if you can't do that? That's true. And you know, as you enter into this next phase of your life and taking on new challenges and things that you're looking forward to doing in the future, um, gosh, I mean, I just can't think of better skill set to be armed with than, than, than to do that and to be ready for anything. 
Yeah, I think, you know, talking to, you know, my friends that I had in Texas and, you know, lost contact with and then, you know, regained contact with through this podcast, it's like, you know, we were so young and, you know, we were childish at some points. And, but now looking back at it, like we have grown so much because of the military lifestyle that we wouldn't have if we didn't have that behind us. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of catching up with people that you might have lost contact with. So my, my brother is actually married to another military brat that we, she and her brother and my brother and I were all around the same ages and, um, lived in Germany together. And we moved away in the early nineties and went to separate places. And somehow I got reconnected to her brother and my brother said, I really want to get connected to you know, to Andrea again. And can you put us in touch now they're married? They have two kids. I mean, it's just amazing. I it's wow. and such a, they had, they reconnected after, gosh, that was probably like 10 years, you know, and now they're married. So there's great stories that come out of all of this. Yeah. The military community is so small and we're in this, you know, huge world that it's just like a family that you don't realize is there until you actually do you realize it's there? Yeah. And you just, you just have to scratch the surface. It's not even that deep, you know, um, or especially now with social media, it's so easy to track people down and, um, what easier. And so, you know, if you can't find somebody on social media, it's a sort of a fun game to try mystery to solve, <laughs> but yeah, the seven degrees of separation, um, usually result in finding, find, and, and discovering that you are living not too far from someone or right. my parents have retired now and they're traveling around in RVs and they almost are always meeting up with some friend of theirs that they knew from the military whether that was in yeah. basic training or when we lived overseas or they went to church with them. And um, it's just this immediate connection that, you know, I, I'm sure that other people feel it, but I feel with the military, it's just so much more crystallized. It's just that immediate connection that, um, that, that binds us all together. Yeah. And that's what I like to see through this podcast, like you and I have never met before, but here we are able to have this conversation about the military life because it's just so tight knit like that. And like the other people I've had on this podcast, you know, some of them I haven't met before, but we were able to have a conversation like we've known each other for years. It is, it is incredible. And it's, it's very special. It is very special. It is. Yeah. Do you have a favorite place you've lived out of your moves that you had? Yes. Well, I loved living overseas. It was so much fun. Um, both times, the first time in Portugal, we were really young and, but I have very vivid memories of, um, like bullfights and bull runs in the streets and beautiful, you know, Spanish style homes and flowers. And it was, I just had this really great, um, sort of sensory memory of being there. Um, and then living in Germany for four years was, was really incredible too. And, and to be in the like really formative sort of middle school and early high school years, um, again, to just ex ingest all of that culture, not just from Germany, but again, my parents are big travelers. So we would, we would go traveling in the summer or I played on a traveling softball team. And so we would go to different places to play, um, play sports. And when, when I was an adult and I went back to Germany live to, you know, to work again, it was fun to kind of go back to some of those places and revisit them with sort of adult eyes and fresh eyes. And 
Um, so I really, I really did enjoy living overseas. I'm always happy to come home. My favorite words in the English language is when Customs and Border Protection welcomes Americans back home at the airport when they show their passport. Um, but, uh, but I also just, I loved being able to just swim in, in that different, in all of that new education and beautiful art and different architecture and, um, and being closer to other places, being able to travel to the Middle East and to Africa because we were closer than had, than we were if we were staying here in the States. So yeah, definitely, definitely living overseas was really fun. Do you have any like experiences that stick out when you're looking back at those overseas memories? Oh, well, it kind of goes back to what we're talking about, about, you know, being adaptable or like not knowing when the rug is going to get pulled out from under you and you just do your best. Um, so my husband uh, lived overseas with me when we, when we lived there um, as adults, but even I can remember this happening with my parents. We did a lot of like car travel and it would just, we'd roll up, you know, having got driven two hours out of our way to go to a museum or something. And it just be like closed down and there's nothing else in the area to do, you know, so, or like trying to, the car breaks down and you're like making a, you know, picnic out of whatever's in the car for the snacks, you know, so right. just trying to keep it all together. But I, I, so those, those experiences are, are the best because almost inevitably there's, like a lesson that comes out of that. Right. Or just, it's not just, yeah. Oh, we learned, we figured out how to get around this. It's like, Oh, well, yeah, we missed that museum. But then actually there was like this little restaurant. We met this family and they have, you know, we have staying contact with them to this day kind of thing. You know, so um, right. it's more than just finding the silver lining. It's really looking for it and making the best of it. Yeah. I think those are important too. And like we were saying, the military does teach you that. And then you're able to keep it going into your adult life and be like, okay, well, plan A didn't work out. Let's, you know, go to plan B, make a plan C, like do what we have to do to, to just get by or just to make this happen. Yeah. And there's just, I mean, I, I recognize, and I certainly appreciate in your experience, you've had some significant setbacks in your family, but there's so rarely in American lives in particular, that something cannot be overcome. <laughs> there, just, right. there just really is, um, you know, death and sickness are, are two of those, um, taxes, I suppose, depending on your age, but, but it really, it really is. Um, I, I, I now run a staff of about 55 people and I just tell them if, if there are not if there were not babies dying from this decision, like we can just take a step back and, and think through this a little bit more. We don't have to freak out and lose our minds and, and lose, you know, lose our respect for one another because we are acting crazy about this. So, um, right. But I don't think you get, I don't think anybody gets to that sort of realization that things really could be a lot harder than they are if they haven't experienced the like, small, hard things, you know, ah, who forgot the salt or, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are definitely challenges that you think are big in the moment, but then looking back on it, it's like, I don't even see that challenge anymore. Like I could have done that and we could have been fine. Like there was no reason to freak out about that or there was no reason to, you know, 
yell and scream like because of that challenge like and that's something that we're able to overcome and we're able to you know even laugh at now yeah I mean that is the hope right is that every every one of those stories is just like oh I shouldn't shouldn't have done that um right and and I think too as I get older and as you get older and we're in positions where we're influencing how others behave or we're influencing how others think or we you know influencing our siblings or nieces and nephews or children um that that sort of stability is really important um to maintain because people people look to leaders like you and they want to know okay well if Gracie's not worried about this then maybe I don't need to worry about it so much either right it's those little things that in reality are don't even matter but in the moment you're like so concerned over that one thing <laughs> and then you know, it doesn't even matter in the end of it. Yeah. And just remembering that, uh, I mean, particularly for military children, that there have been harder things all the time, moves or deployments or um, injury or illness or death. And yeah, it's, um, I think there's a lot of perspective that military children just get just, just because that, just because that's the environment that they grow up in. Right. That's, that's the, those are the, or, and it doesn't even have to be immediate family. Right. Um, We were stationed overseas. My dad was when um, the second Gulf war was happening and, you know, just people coming through and um, um, Wiesbaden being the place where um, a lot of folks are coming back for R and R for, you know, medical treatment. And I broke my arm actually in the middle of the war. Um, And uh, I think I got treated just basically like, a field doc would treat somebody in the field. I my, had my arm reset without uh, painkillers and uh, they sent me on my way. So, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I had forgotten about that, but yeah. So I think that just the idea of, um, well, there's just been, there's, there's so much like sort of day-to-day adversity, even small things that uh, help people grow in their character and um, in their leadership and, so that's my takeaway. Right. Yeah. And like you were just saying, like when you broke your arm, like you forgot about that. <laughs> and like it was uh, yeah. a huge thing probably at the moment of, you know, no painkillers or anything. And then like now it's like, OK, well, <laughs> like we don't even need to, you know, have that anymore. We've overcome that challenge. Uh, yeah. What I know now is that if somebody asked me if I went painkillers, the answer is yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think about it, um, often, but then when I do, it's this very vivid memory these like Chinese handcuff kind of things, mesh metal that my hand was like fingers were dangling from. And the doctor just goes one, two, three. And I think <laughs> I screamed like it was nobody's business. My poor mother must've been just horrified. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but they had bigger, they had bigger issues. I mean, there that that was at the Wiesbaden Hospital. They were definitely dealing with bigger issues than a 12-year-old kid with a broken arm. For sure. <laughs> and, you know, it was big in your eyes in the moment, but in the end of it, it was like there were other issues that needed to be solved and patients that needed taken care of too. So you had to do what you had to do. 
That's right. They were like, we're not going to like mollycoddle this kid. She's getting it set and we're going to send her on her way. Open up that bed <laughs> for somebody else. <laughs> exactly. So what was one challenge that you faced as a military child? Um, I, I always found it very challenging to go back sort of full circle. I just always found it very challenging to try to understand the culture of wherever we were moving. Um, and as a kid, especially, I mean, kids generally can be cruel. They don't have to be. And I think military kids are generally um, pretty welcoming. Um, but but it just is hard, I think, every time moving to a new place. And, like, um, it's not just, like, where am I going to go to school or where am I going to go to get my groceries? But what's the language here? Even to your point about, like, Ohio and Texas and Florida being very different. You know, I say y'all all the time now. I live in Arkansas. I say yeah. y'all all the time. It was not in my vernacular when I lived in Washington, D.C. Now, I understood the word. I heard the word. It just was not, it was not part of my everyday language. And here I use it right. all the time. My husband is from Connecticut. He speaks with this very funny accent. And, um, and we have a great time, you know, talking about the difference in like what I call a water fountain. He calls a bubbler. Um, we have a discussion, whole discussion about sneakers versus tennis shoes, um, like just that kind of stuff. But it's, it's really hard, especially as a kid, I think, to not fit in. And so I always found that to be the most challenging is like, how do I, how do I fit in as quickly as possible? Um, you know, I was a good kid, so I wasn't like doing stupid stuff, but how do I fit in as quickly as possible so that I can focus on other things like my studies or my family or, um, you know, I played sports a lot. I really wanted to be a good athlete. And, um, and so that, that just always, it never takes a short amount of time. It always takes longer than I expected to. And the same is true as an adult moving from DC to moving uh, to come to Arkansas several years ago. I still am like, what is that about? <laughs> Where does that come from? Yeah. Um, but it's still hard, but I think as a kid, it's just, it's just so much harder to try to make friends as quickly as possible. Cause you know, within a couple of years, it's just all going to, or even, you know, months, it's all going to change again. People are moving around. Yeah. You don't want to get too comfortable in an area because you know, either you're going to move, your friends are going to move, maybe even both like me and my best friend, well, not my best friend, but one of my friends, you know, we left Texas on the same exact day. Like we were both going different directions. So like we left the same day and, you know, we had to deal with that. And, you know, sometimes it's for the good and sometimes it's hard and it's not easy to adapt to those places, but it's definitely a challenge, you know, same way with y'all. Like my mom didn't use the word. And then we moved to Texas and everything is y'all. It's y'all go do this. Y'all do that. Like, <laughs> you know, it's part of our dictionary now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, humans are incredible, really just adaptable yeah. beings and, um, so, yeah, I think the trick is to just make sure you get caught up in the vernacular and not, you know, bad activities as a kid. Um, but I don't know. I'm, most of the bases I lived on were pretty clear about what was allowable and what was not. And families, parents would end up being disciplined even more so than the kids, uh, yeah. which was an easy way to kind of keep keep order. Yeah. And a lot of people don't even realize that 
living on base and having a parent in the military that when the kid makes a mistake and messes up or gets into trouble, the kid is most of the time not going to be punished or in trouble or anything. It's going to be the parent. And then the kid gets in trouble, you know, through the parent because the parent's in trouble. Yeah. And I think that builds a um, maybe a better sense of community and our and our responsibility to one another, um, not just in the military family, but just uh, as community members, as citizens, and that that our our behavior has consequences, good or bad, um, on not just ourselves but on others. And uh, you know, my dad did some first sergeant roles when he was in the Air Force, and um, you know, he was just like. I don't, I don't care where you are. I don't care what time it is. If you need a ride home, you call me. Um, I'll right. be there in 20 minutes, you know? Um, that sort of commitment to community health and, and the safety of, of, of another person is very admirable. Yeah. It is. And that's something, you know, the military teaches its soldiers and that's something, you know, these you know, service members end up teaching their families and, you know, even the spouses that don't grow up around the military life and then trickles down to the kids for sure. Yeah, it does. It's a great, it's a great lesson. It's a great lesson. It is. Yeah. What is something that you enjoyed about the military life? We talked about the challenges, but what is something that came easy to you or that you really enjoyed about it? Um, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the diverse experience that I got. So on one hand, it was always challenging to sort of, you know, learn new cultures, but then it was like, at some point I'd be like, all right, I got this. Um, and then I could really explore the, you know, sort of maybe not the core things and some things that kind of on the fringe or like on the margins and um, random history that would go on at this castle that nobody knew something, knew anything about really. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And as an adult, what I truly, truly appreciate now is the friendships that I made. And uh, there's a group of four girls that I still keep in touch with from junior high. And, um, you know, we're not in touch every day or even every month, but a couple of years ago, we got together, you know, for like a reunion and um, we've gone to weddings together. And it's just, it's very gratifying to have, especially growing up in a family that moved around a lot. It's very gratifying to find those friends that, that stick with you over multiple decades. And so I really, really enjoyed that about growing up as a military kid, meeting new friends and then getting to keep them. Yeah. And it's definitely hard to keep those friends because you're moving so often, they're moving so often. And, you know, in my generation, we had a little bit more technology. And so we were able to, you know, keep that up a little bit, but most of the time, you know, you were pen pals, like, you know, you had to send letters to keep in contact because there wasn't really any other way of communication. That's right. And when, when like MySpace and Facebook first came along, it was really a boon to find people that I, that I'd lost touch with and vice versa. But yeah, I have tons of letters, probably still in my parents' house somewhere, tons of letters of like, you know, writing to friends in different random places. And um, I, I mean, and it's, and really letter writing is kind of an art that's lost these days. You just don't it see is. a lot of it. 
one of my favorite things is getting personal mail, you know, handwritten mail in the mail. I'm just like, it's not just that I don't want to get bills. It's that there's something very personal about someone sitting down and, and taking the time to handwrite a note and then put a stamp on it and put it in the mailbox, you know, know, as opposed to just typing out a few sentences and hitting send on a computer. It's a, it's a a more involved process. Yeah. And it, it's definitely, like you said, more personable and, you know, it's nice to know that someone actually took the time to write out the letter and then, you know, mail it away. And then, you know, it's not a direct response either. You can't just, like you said, on a computer hit send and then wait a couple minutes and then you get a response. You have to wait a couple of days for mm-hmm. your letter to send and then a couple of days for their letter to send. So it's like a back and forth process of just waiting for the letters to send. Yeah. And I could go into a whole diatribe about how this has ruined American communication and communication among human beings, but I won't, but yeah, it's a lost art. And, um, sometimes what we say in the heat of the moment really shouldn't reach anyone else's ears. (laughs) Yes. That's a good point. You have a little more time to think as you're writing a letter than you do a text or an email. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So how did military life influence you to get to the political world and get into the government like you are today? Oh, um, well, having lived overseas and as I've mentioned now a few times, just really loving being in different cultures and being around different cultures and learning new things. Um, when I came back from Germany, I was a junior in high school and I really, I knew I was going to go to college. I didn't know where, but I really wanted to do something in international relations or international diplomacy. Um, just having been, um, in a country like Germany, where they're, they were the leader in, in Europe, um, and seeing how things played out there, and then seeing just the real ramifications of international of decisions and international relations on the American po- political side. I think living it, I wouldn't say that I was like, oh, I want to be in that business, but it was just interesting to me. And so I decided ultimately to go to the University of Arkansas. They didn't have a really strong international program, but they did have a political science program. And I took um, several classes in the international arena. And I was pretty sure when I graduated from college that I was going to go take the foreign service exam and that I was going to go into the State Department. Um, And so I actually moved out to Washington, D.C. right after I graduated from college because I didn't, I was a first generation college student. And so I wasn't really sure what people with political science degrees did. Um, And so I went to a place where I thought someone would, would likely go if they had a political science degree. Um, And I thought, oh, I really want to go to Georgetown because they have this really excellent um, master of science in foreign service. And anyway, that did not end up happening for various reasons, but primarily because I ended up working for then Congressman Asa Hutchinson, who was the congressman from the district where my university was. And he was um, such a great leader and a great boss. And so I just kept working with him. And he was appointed when he was in Congress, he was appointed to be the DEA administrator. And then after 9-11, he was appointed to be part of the new Homeland Security Department. And so I just sort of followed him around to these different places. Um, And really just because it seemed like 
the natural next step or I didn't have anything better coming along. And um, he decided to come back and run for governor in 2006. And I said, well, I probably should find out if anyone else will hire me. I've been following you around for several years. And so I went back into federal service and, um, and moved overseas myself. And when I came back, um, I knew that I wanted to do my master's program. And I did that. I did an MBA. And um, when I finished that program, he was running, had been running for governor again. Um, and so I just said, listen, I, we worked together for seven and a half years. We didn't work together for eight more years. And now I really want to come back to work for you if you win as governor. So, I mean, I guess that's a long way of saying, one, it just shows the power of relationships and, and networking and doing a good job. I mean, I think I did a good job for him early on. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked me to keep coming around. But we maintained a friendship beyond um, our work relationship. And so when he would call, when he was looking for somebody's phone number or he didn't have a contact, he would reach out and um, I would, of course, be helpful. And I don't really like the political side of things. Um, I mean, I, I get... I'm not naive. I get that I'm in politics, even in a, a government position, um, particularly in the, the role that I play in that office. But I don't like partisan politics. I don't like campaigning. And but I, what I really love is helping make government work for the citizens who fund it, for the taxpayers who pay my salary, who pay the governor's salary, for the people who really um, want to have their voices heard. And, um, and so I... I I work very hard at making sure that our office is responsive and um, effective advocates for the citizens of Arkansas. Yeah, and that's really important to have and more or less to have another voice of, you know, this is what our state is needing and this is what our state is longing for. And to have someone to say, you know, we're here to listen, we're here to help you. and we're here to make this happen for you is a lot to, to take on. And then it means a lot back to the state um, citizens of Arkansas saying, okay, someone actually is listening. Someone wants to help us. I hope so. I certainly hope that's the legacy of, of my boss's administration. He's governor for another 16 months or so. He'll be out of office in 2023. Um, but I certainly, I expect, and I hope that that will be his legacy. And, you know, I think for everybody, COVID has been really hard and it's those, the decisions that he has to make as a representative of the citizens of Arkansas, you know, are not going to make everyone happy, but he works really hard at trying to do the right thing. Um, and make sure that people are staying healthy and um, and have as much flexibility in determining their own their own rights and fate. Is it a very it is a very conservative state, but trying to trying to balance that and make sure that you know kids can go back to school and not worry about getting sick while they're there. Right. And how do you think the life as a military child influenced all of what you're doing today, and how? Um, you're kind of even helping the next generation along the way. I, I truly don't, I, tr I just truly don't know how I could be here in this place, how I could inhabit this existence <laughs> without having been 
a military child, there's, uh, I'm sure I would have been a productive member of society and whatever un- parallel universe out there exists that I, w- I am not a military child. But for my for my parents to show that bravery to join the military in the first place, to offer to move away, to take the chance to have children and to raise them in in a um, in a kind of society or a subculture that just was not um, was not provided stability, but wasn't always the most you couldn't you couldn't plan everything like you were saying earlier, not, you know, sometimes you just, you get surprised um, and everything gets turned upside down. But I'm also, I mean, I also recognize that I'm very different. I have a lot of other peers that are chiefs of staff to governors across the, the country and we're not all alike and they all do very great jobs for their bosses. But for the, the job that I want to do is absolutely built upon those foundations of being curious, being interested in learning, uh, being adaptable, being open to other opinions and ideas and cultures and experiences and embracing them when it's helpful um, or interesting to me and really just waiting to see what comes next and not putting not putting too much pressure on knowing the question I always hated answering was, what do you want to be in five years? I hated that yeah. question because it, it suggests that there's not going to be something amazing that comes along that could completely change my mind about what I want to do. Um, and I'm all for people who have five-year plans. I totally admire them, but that's just not me. Um, right. And so being ready for what comes next, next and being risk tolerant in that way is a pretty perfect mix for the job I have now. Right, for sure. and you know, you could have this perfect plan and, you know, your goals and where you're going to be. And I had that. And then it's like, okay, well, something else came along the way, or, you know, maybe it is a smarter idea to stay at, you know, FGCU for my master's degree, then go to Orlando for my master's degree. Like things change, things come up along the way where it's like, okay, well, while that sounded like a great decision, you know, yesterday or a week ago, a month ago, maybe it's not the best decision to make now. There's something else that came along the way. Yeah. And it takes a lot of maturity to take in new information and be willing to change your mind. And that's not something that um, politicians are known for, but, um, but I do think that it's, it's not just in terms of like where, where someone wants their life to go in a few years. It's also just, can I can I learn new things and can I incorporate them in a constructive fashion into my worldview? And um, perhaps my worldview changes slightly and the perspective and the lens is just slightly different, but how much more exciting it can be when, when, when you're not rigid. Yeah. When you don't have like this exact plan or uh, schedule that you're trying to stick to, you know, by the minute, you miss out on so many different opportunities that could have changed your life or could have played a major role in your life. Yeah. And I, um, I don't mean to sound like Sheryl Sandberg here, but I rarely say no to being introduced to new people or trying a new restaurant or (laughs) trying a new cocktail. Like it just, it could be horrible, but at least I know not to do it again, (laughs) you know, not to do that (laughs) specific thing again, but, um, 
because because otherwise in the last in the last three months actually I've been introduced to three people um, all through friends who are very dear to me and said I you know can you help this person or can you meet this person and network with them and just bring them in um, as you feel is appropriate and I've just been so delighted now with three new friendships that didn't exist three months ago all because I said right. sure I'll go to coffee yeah and it's so hard you know. And, you know, there's the quote that goes, when you say no to one thing, you're saying yes to another thing, but you have to be very cautious about what you're saying no to and what you're saying yes to, um, because you miss those opportunities. You miss those opportunities to have friendships or, you know, to try a new restaurant that might be terrible. Like you miss those opportunities. Yeah. Um, to warn people off of potential, you know, food poisoning. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for sure. Like you never know what could come out of a situation. That's true. Hopefully it's a good experience though. Yes. (laughs) We always hope for the best, but you know, tend to expect the worst. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what is one final piece of advice that you would give to another military child? Oh, I think I would just say, hang in there. Um, it's almost always worth it, you know, just take it in stride, try to put it in perspective and hold on for the ride because it's fun. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. And you never know the experiences you're going to have, the people you're going to meet, the places you go. And it's definitely a wild ride, but it is one to, to stick around for. Indeed. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on. I enjoyed having you on and hearing your story and your experiences and all you're doing today. Thank you, Gracie. Thanks for doing this podcast. It really is such a wonderful resource for folks and uh, best wishes to you as you move on to the next things in your life. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Grace of Military Child podcast. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to follow, like, share, subscribe, review, and comment. You can also follow us at Grace of a Military Child podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more podcast-related content. If you or someone you know is a military child who would like to be on the podcast, please send us a message to one of our social media platforms, or you can send an email to grace.of.a military.child at gmail.com. Tune in next Thursday to hear another incredible journey.